Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And I had an interesting evening a few days ago. I want to tell you about it. I have a friend who is a professional entertainer in Los Angeles. Uh, in fact, he's working on a, a movie right now. I won't give his name without his explicit permission, but he contacted me and he said, you know, one of the things on my bucket list is to go out in the desert with you UFO hunting. And I said, well, that's a very realistic bucket list you have there. I mean, what's next? We're going to go to Popeye's and have the chicken sandwich. I mean, <laughs> very reasonable bucket list. See, that's a tip for you. You won't be disappointed if you have a very reasonable, realistic bucket list. Just don't go asking to fly to the moon or anything like that. So I said, well, hey, you know, again, the guy's a friend of mine, and it looks like we're going to work on some projects together. And I said, well, I've got some new equipment that I've been meaning to test out anyway, looking for UFOs. So uh, I said, come on out here, and uh, you can come along with me, and we'll take this new equipment out into the desert. So that's what we did. And it was a beautiful night out in the desert, very quiet. It was cold, clear, cold, a little bit windy, but beautiful. And uh, it's great just to get out in the desert and just be silent for a few minutes. Because it's amazing in this day and age how 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 little you get exposed to just silence there's always some kind of noise whether it's just a bird chirping or an airplane flying somewhere so anyway here we are looking around with we had third gen and all kinds of other stuff i've got some new equipment that i haven't really talked about yet uh of course soon you'll be seeing some of my stuff on the discovery channel and the travel channel i'll be i'll tell you when that's going to air but anyway here we are out in the middle of the desert at night it's it's late you know and we hear boom 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 this real bassy we're like what is that and Lauren was with us and after that we looked up in the sky and there was this great formation of lights and they were just speeding at uh, it's just an enormous rate of speed and we realized that these were fighter jets and what we'd been hearing were sonic booms and so these jets were flying in these huge circles around us throughout the time that we were there and uh, and I mean when you were just just looking through a pair of binoculars you could hardly keep up with them. They're going so fast. There's no telling how fast these, these jets were going. And I remembered that I read something in the local media recently here in Las Vegas saying that there were some exercises that were, were, going, were, were going to be done soon in the area, and I think they're going to do them throughout February. So I'm assuming this has some connection to the Nellis Air Force Base and their their red flag exercises and stuff that they do once once in a while but uh so the time we were out there and we were there probably a little over an hour before we said okay it's it's a little too cold now <laughs> um i can't say that we saw 
a bona fide unidentified flying object but uh it was pretty cool just to be out there at night and see those jets flying you know faster than the speed of sound and doing all their stuff and i guess they probably would have scared off uh any ufos but when you have experiences like that it it goes to show once again how tricky it is nowadays to to just go out and look up at the sky and um and see something that you can't explain because there's just so much stuff going on in the sky. We do have planes and drones and satellites and I mean all this stuff that becomes confusing. And I've I've wondered, you know, for years when we've gone out and looked up at the sky through night vision and we've seen some of these very unusual craft flying around, if what we might be seeing are in fact in some cases if not most cases part of a secret space program and you know i was talking uh, and i guess maybe my last podcast about the space force and some people have said hey did, did the government rip off the logo from the star trek starfleet command and 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 then a lot of people contacted me and said no no it's the other way around if you look at the evolution of that logo going back to the original nasa logo Star Trek has always just sort of been riffing off of it. So, you know, I, I get I get both points of view, even though they are startlingly similar now. But the idea is that we have had this secret space program that's been going on for decades and that it's just now finally being officially recognized. And uh, and it's funny because you know it's you can't figure out what angle to believe when you start looking at conspiracies about what technologies do and do not exist and just how exotic they are and how far it goes i mean you just there's no way to know that's what uh the whole like you know top secret classified world is is about creating a hall of mirrors where even if you get a little fragment of the truth you don't know how far it goes so it may be that, uh, yeah, we have seen the, the secret space program for uh, at least 10 years. I have going out looking up at uh, the sky with night vision. And I'm not saying that that means there aren't aliens flying around out there as well or that aliens uh, might not be a part of the secret space program. That's been the rumor for a long time that the aliens are working with the humans. We, ju- we just don't know. If somebody tells you, I know, then you really need to dig deeply into that person's background and experiences uh, because most of us just get a little glimpse of it here or there. But I was thinking, here we are, where it's getting more and more difficult to look up into the night sky and judge what you're seeing because we've got so much stuff up there and we know so much about the world and the stars and the planets and we're sending people to Mars soon. <coughs> Excuse me. And I thought the song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. We all know that song, right? Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. What's the second line of that? Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. How I wonder what you are. And I was thinking, I know that was written a long time ago. And think about 
what it would be like to live in an era, to live in an age, when your whole life, when the sun goes down, you look up at the sky and you see all these lights and you honestly do not know what they are. How spoiled are we that we grew up in this environment where even as a little kid, we were told, oh yes, here's what this is. You know, this is a ball of gas that's glowing up there and here's how big it is. I mean, like you get all this information that you take for granted. Not to say that it all has to be accurate or true, by the way. But you know, that song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, it's now in the public domain. It was published in 1806 in London. So these were English lyrics written as a poem by a woman named Jane Taylor. She was born in 1783, died in 1824. And apparently she published this and credited also her sister, Ann Taylor, who lived about the same period of time there, 1782 to, uh, well, a little longer, 1866. But anyway, published with the title, The Star. And you know, that tune for Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is actually the same tune as the alphabet song. Have you ever realized that? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, it's the same tune. And they say that tune was an old French tune that goes back even, even further. And yes, at one point it was even arranged by the great Mozart. Think about living in a world when you can say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. You know, uh, I bet you none of you listening to me know all the lyrics to twinkle, twinkle, little star. There's more to it than that. I shall try to sing it for you a little bit. That's not something I do very often. Me, 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 me. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. When the blazing sun is gone, when he nothing shines upon, then you show your little light, twinkle, twinkle, all the night. Then the traveler in the dark thanks you for your tiny spark. He could not see which way to go if you did not twinkle so. In the dark blue sky you keep and often through my curtains peep. For you never shut your eye till the sun is in the sky. Tis your bright and tiny spark lights the traveler in the dark. Though I know not what you are, twinkle, twinkle, little star. There we have all the lyrics to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. So, I wonder if you could give a prize to somebody at a party, say, Who knows all the words? to twinkle, twinkle, little star. Think about that. Put yourself in that mindset your whole life. Every night, these lights are up there. 
you even depend on them navigation i mean you know how many travelers explorers and, and i'm not just talking about the pros i mean just people migrating pioneers whatever they always relied on the stars they knew the sky so well but they didn't know what it was the very first time a photograph of a star was captured was in 1850 now we're talking about other than the sun all right and there was a, of course there came a point where scientists had to finally say well maybe the sun is the same thing as those lights in the sky there was a lot of debate and argument over whether or not the sun was the same thing and now they say well yeah it's it's the same thing 1850 is when the first photograph was taken of a star daguerreotype by astronomer William Cranch Bond and he was working with a uh, an experimenter named John Adams Whipple and they captured the first images of stars at night on July 16th and 17th 1850 with Harvard College Observatory's 15-inch great refractor so that was right here in the good old US of A and I think that's important because that is when, you know, when you can get a photograph of something, that's when you can really start trying to analyze its physical properties even more. And now we have satellites that are beyond our solar system giving us unbelievable views of what these things are. And now we can say, yep, look at that. <clears throat> that's what it is here's what it looks like as a matter of fact as a side note you know the history of photography is is quite fascinating do you know when the first photograph was taken like the first surviving photograph because granted there have been um you know there were experiments even even, even like the ancient egyptians uh, they were doing experiments trying to just sort of um, capture the shadow of, of something like a leaf or whatever with by, by more or less sun bleaching things I mean like so but photography as we know a modern day photography it was invented really in France um, and the oldest surviving photograph was taken in 1826 or possibly 1827. It's called View from the Window at Le Gras. Now, I don't speak French. Okay, so maybe it's Le Gras. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> created by a French inventor named Nisiphore Neopas. And it shows parts of buildings and the surrounding countryside of his estate, La Grasse, as seen from a high window. So, basically, he, he had a big old estate. I imagine him being sort of a Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson type guy who liked to tinker with things and innovate with things and obviously had the money and means to do it. And he he's experimenting in some room on his estate 
and takes a picture of the buildings outside the window. It's amazing to think that was the first time a photograph as we know it was was created. And um, <clears throat> that is, I, I'm going to post that for you. I mean, you can look it up on your own, but I'm going to, I'll tweet it out at Joshua P. Warren, and I'll also put it on my Facebook page because it's just, again, something we take for granted. And you know, uh, some of the most impressive ghost photographs that we have, the old black and white ones, are from Europe. I mean, like the brown lady uh, at, at Raynham Hall there and the newbie phantom um i mean there there are some great pictures that i to this day i will use in programs and people say well why why do they all come from? well that's where photography as we know it was invented and again you, you know you you had <clears throat> uh chinese and uh egyptians and uh, greeks and all kinds of ancient cultures that were experimenting with this idea of capturing images but we kind of nailed it, you know, in France there in Europe. And so I believe that's one of the reasons why we, we, ha we tend to have more early ghost photos from Europe. Not to mention that it's just a, you know, just a great area, uh, historically speaking, for ghostly activity. But, boy, we, you can start really thinking about how much that we take for granted Thing, just basic things that you know right now that you don't even realize that you know. If you traveled back in time, you would, you would honestly, you'd seem like an alien. You'd seem like some kind of a, a divine figure to people in the past. I mean, just to be able to go back and just describe things like, well, here's what the moon looks like. No, here's what it looks like. And they say, well, prove it. Well, I can't prove it, but I mean, I remember I've seen the pictures. Have you been to the moon? No, I haven't been to the moon, but uh, other people have. And uh, here's some pictures that, uh, you know, and while they're in my mind, I get I'll, I'll, a star. That's just a big old ball. Again. You could show them things that would blow their minds. Have you ever drawn a flip book? You know, where you take a pad and uh, I used to do this as a kid. If you have any drawing ability, and let's say a pad has 100 pages, and you, you make a little cartoon, basically, and you, you flip through all the pages. You, you, know, you draw this thing 100 times in a slightly different position, and you flip the pages, and, oh, my God, there's animation. That would freak people out if you were like, yeah, check this out, a flip book. I can make a little moving drawing. It just never occurred to them to do that. Paper. Just creating paper. Yeah, we're going to mash up a tree and roll it out. And look at this thing called paper. If you had, I mean, could, imagine telling people about exotic animals that exist. Just saying like, there is this thing called a platypus on this big giant piece of land that in the future we call Australia. And you're not going to believe what this fucking thing is. All right. Or, you know, for up, it, it wasn't until the, 1900s that scientists actually acknowledged that sharks attack people you could be like oh yeah they definitely they definitely eat people i mean you could describe such incredible things and if you had some technical ability 
Can you imagine telling somebody from the 1800s, here is how to make a flying machine. Okay, here is how an airplane flies. But if you think that's kick-ass, there's this thing called a helicopter, and it just goes up and down. And, and describe that, or how to generate electricity with a magnet and a coil of wire, or how to refrigerate food. I mean, do you understand that to this day, the fact that germs exist and cause sickness is called a theory to this day? That's how stringent scientific standards are. It's still called germ theory, the idea that we have these little things, these tiny little animals is what they are, that are running around. Uh, well, they're not necessarily, I guess, look, they're making people sick. They're making people sick, these little animals. And in fact, okay, let's look up, let's look up germ theory and let's see what it says. Listen to this. The germ theory of disease is the currently accepted scientific theory for many diseases. It states that microorganisms known as pathogens or germs can lead to disease. These small organisms, too small to see without magnification, invade humans, other animals, and other living hosts. Their growth and reproduction within their host can cause disease. Germ may refer to not just bacterium, but to any type of microorganism or even non-living pathogen that can cause disease, such as protist, fungi, viruses, prions, or viroids. Diseases caused by pathogens are called infectious diseases even when a pathogen is the principal cause of a disease, environmental and hereditary factors, blah, blah, blah. Okay, <clears throat> so germ theory, the idea that we have all these little things, these little creatures that are making us sick was not accepted until the late 1800s, after the Civil War. Okay, I mean, so you had stuff like the Civil War, where a surgeon, he was just, he was like a, he was like a butcher or a barber or whatever, and you know, he's a, bring in the next one. He wasn't wearing any gloves. He wasn't washing his hands. He wasn't wearing a mask. He wasn't sterilizing anything. Give this guy some whiskey. Put a stick in his mouth. We're gonna saw his leg off. Next, okay, move right along to the next one. All the blood gets mixed together. Up until the late 1800s. I mean, some of the best classical music that you've ever heard, you listen to it and you go, man, that's incredible that somebody composed this music. All of, Most of that shit was composed before we, we accepted that there are germs that cause disease. So you ask yourself, well, what do they think before that? What what in the, what the hell did people think was causing all these diseases? Because you know, it, it, in order to prove germ theory, well, you had to have the invention of a a thing called a microscope, right? But you can't just invent a microscope. Well, you first you gotta you gotta have glass, 
somebody's got to come up with a good form of glass and then you got to come up with a way to grind that glass and polish that glass maybe you need a little mirror in there and you got to figure out how to make a all these little things have to be created and then you could have all the pieces laying there in front of you but if you don't put them together in just the exact right way it's not going to work as a microscope everything has to be tuned beautifully and then pow an invisible world is revealed we are covered covered in truly countless numbers of tiny animals and not just covered in them made of them i read a while back i believe i forget what i think it's like three to five pounds of every human being is nothing but just microorganisms that right now you've got them all with i mean you are you're a conglomerate that it, <laughs> you're a conglomeration of microorganisms they help you in some cases like digest your food and everything they're the ones who are ultimately eating all of your food and shit oh boy so anyway what did they believe was causing sickness and disease before it's called miasma theory and i don't even know if i'm pronouncing that correctly have you ever heard of that miasma m i a s m a miasma theory before we acknowledge germs this is what people thought all the scientists all the doctors all the smartest people in the world and it's easy for you to say oh well I live in 2020 I have the internet and a latte and I'm so much smarter than all those doofuses were back then no no I'm telling you at the time these were people who were living just like you and I are living right now making the most of the resources they had they were not stupid and they looked to their experts and here's what the medical experts told them they said yes here is the miasma theory here's the definition uh, or a little description of it the miasma theory was the predominant theory of disease transmission before the germ theory took hold towards the end of the 19th century and it is no longer accepted as a scientific theory of disease it held that diseases such as cholera, chlamydia, infections, the Black Death was caused by miasma, which is a Greek word, ancient Greek word for pollution, which they considered to be a noxious form of, quote, bad air emanating from rotting organic matter. Miasma was considered to be a poisonous vapor or mist filled with particles from decomposed matter, miasmata, that was identifiable by its foul smell. The theory posited that diseases were the product of environmental factors such as contaminated water, foul air, and poor hygienic conditions. Such infections, according to the theory, were not passed between individuals, but would affect those within a locale that gave rise to such vapors so in other words I get sick and then a week later my wife gets sick I didn't give it to her it's just that 
Oh, man, we live in a shitty place. We got to move, man. There's some bad vapors here. That was the theory. That was the theory. And that is, I think, why that certain places like Asheville, North Carolina, my hometown, became so popular for these sanitariums, especially for people who had tuberculosis, because they always said, ah, that clean, fresh mountain air is therapeutic. And you have to go there and get treated uh, for your ailments because you're going to get away from these nasty fumes and all this shitty vapor and everything because that's what's making you sick because even though yes that was in the early 1900s still you had people who weren't quite up to speed on this new thing called germ theory because they'd been raised up believing in this other theory and again these were not stupid people but they they listened to the experts and who do the experts listen to well they listen to their local guru Wh- whoever the local guy is that everybody well that he's the smartest guy in the room whatever he says well we'll go with that that'll save me some homework and you end up with a very small selection of people a handful of people who are dictating what the most reasonable theory is of the day and of course i guess it's especially fitting to talk about germ theory right now because everybody is um, flipping out over the corona virus and you know i have a friend and he is really following this coronavirus thing very closely and he's been posting about it in social media and he's been posting pictures of the shelves at the pharmacies where the masks are sold out because you know Asians love to put a little like you know Home Depot dust mask over their over their faces that's big in Asia the masks are sold out Lauren and I were at uh, Target the other day there was a guy on the phone oh my god I can't find a mask anywhere this is a good time to be in the mask business and he has been saying uh, I'm good I've got my supplies together I'm thinking about buying a gun for the first time ever this is going to get bad it's like zombie apocalypse happening he goes what's going on now there's a locust there's a plague of locusts in Africa we're about to have world war three here with Iran now we got this pandemic that's about like that all the biblical horrible shit is finally hitting and <laughs> look I am not a doctor, I am not a physician, but here's what I will tell you. You have to keep things in perspective, and I tell you that because one thing that I am, I may not be a doctor, but I am a media guy, all right? I do media, all of it. TV, movies, radio, internet, live events, I'm a media guy, and I can see when the media is hyping something. And I'm not meaning to downplay this. I mean, for one thing, you know, the Spanish influenza, which hit in 1918, okay? So that's over 100 years ago, a little over 100 years ago. They say every 100 years you need a good plague to wipe out the assholes, is what they say. That killed, uh, I believe, about, well, look, okay, I think about 500 million people got it. 
and about a hundred million people died and somewhere between like three and five percent of the world's population died in that terrible time and right now I realize you know they're saying well we've, we have hundreds of people who have died from the coronavirus but you know Lauren and I were talking about the fact that I mean last year in 2019 when it just comes to the common flu uh, or whatever was the common flu for last year 42.9 million people got sick last year from the flu 647,000 people were hospitalized and 61,200 people died that's just from the flu so you know you you have to keep things in in perspective here and i don't think there's any need to flip out and start going into survival mode i mean it's it look i'm not going to dissuade you from being in survival mode period because eventually something's going to happen to you like probably there's going to be an earthquake or or a flood or a fire or a terrorist attack or you know like the sun is going to just unexpectedly supernova even though they say it's not supposed to happen and it'll just do it something is going to happen right eventually so it's always good to be prepared best you can always have have a certain amount of canned food and clean water and some medical supplies and some entertainment and a way to protect everything okay a way to defend your property because it doesn't matter if you put all this time and effort into preparation and you can't protect it because what do you think is going to happen people are just going to come take it from you it's always good to have to have that but a panic is not necessary and look could, will this be will i be singing a different tune here in a month maybe but for now here's what i can tell you for one thing even if you get this coronavirus there's nothing they can do about it so i mean the, all they're going to do is say well we're quarantining you we're locking you away so you don't give it to anybody else hope you don't die you know other than that it's just basic medical stay hydrated we'll, we'll give you some fresh oxygen and what you know and we'll keep our fingers crossed for you they, they can't really do anything for you you got to let it run its course and so here it, it, it if you are really concerned about uh the coronavirus but not just the coronavirus just any just being sick at all and i've told you sometimes you need to get sick just so your body can update to you know it's like your computer it sucks when you're you're like well we got to update to the new software you're not going to be able to use your computer for 10 minutes but uh sometimes it has to be done because the world is ever changing right you can't dip your toe in the same river twice it's always changing here are the three things that you can do if you don't want to get sick or at least reduce your chances okay very basic things number one wash your hands with soap and water every time you get every chance you get a, an opportunity um i know a lot of people who say i never wash my hands because by never washing my hands I am being gradually exposed all the time to germs so my my body is constantly being vaccinated um, 
But doctors deal with sick people all day, every day, and they don't get sick. They wash their hands all the time with soap and water. And and, and they, the experts say even the hand sanitizer should only be used if you do not have access to soap and water. I have a friend who works for a major company. He travels the world at an insane pace. I mean, within a, within a seven-day period, he'll go from uh, from Europe to the Middle East, to China, to North America, back to Europe. I mean, he, he's just bouncing everywhere, constantly being exposed to people on airplanes and all, like tons of people, but he never gets sick. I said, "What? How do you feel? Like, what? What do you think is the key to you staying healthy?" He says, "Every chance I get, I always just take take a moment. No matter how much of a hurry I'm, I take a moment and I wash my hands with soap and water. And soap is important. I know it, it kind of sucks to to take the time to use soap because sometimes." You're like, I'm just touching this extra thing, you know, and getting, but apparently it, that you're, you're supposed to do that. So that's the number one thing. You wash your hands with soap and water. I don't even think the temperature of the water matters. Number two, don't touch your face. So like, especially, you know, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your, that's pretty much your face. Don't touch your face if you can help it. And number three is, every single day, ingest a good dose of vitamin C. And I'm not just talking about taking vitamin C pills, which, you know, that's better than nothing. But you, I think you're probably better off if you just drink a glass of orange juice or, like, I have this these airborne pills that teachers popularize, and you just put a pill in a glass, fill it with water. It's like an Alka-Seltzer. And then just, you know, drink that once or maybe even twice a day during this time of year. Those are the three things. Number one, whenever you get an opportunity, wash your hands with soap and water. Number two, don't touch your face. And number three, have some vitamin C every single day. That's pretty much the best that you can do to reduce your chances of getting really sick or sick at all. And, and nothing is 100%. I mean, sometimes it's like, hey... It's your time to go. Sorry. <laughs> See you later, asshole. Like, you don't get to be an immortal vampire. Um, but if you want to know from a scientific point of view, the most reasonable things to do, well, there you have it. There they are. So no need to flip out too much. And those things work because of germ theory. It's true. And you can see why that people long ago would might have thought that was you, that you were insane. If you went to a scientist and you said, there are little invisible creatures all over everything, they would probably put you in a mental ward. This person is having some type of a break with reality. Uh, he or she is imagining their invisible little creatures all over everything that are making people sick. See how, like, ridiculous that sounds to somebody who doesn't live in our day and age? But apparently it's true, because when I get sick and I come home 
and then a week later my wife is sick it's not because we're breathing in bad air at the same time no the little animals that are making me sick crawl over and make her sick it's like exchanging fleas from dog to dog what else do we not know uh, think about that one for a minute what else do we not know what else is out there and what else is in here what other little small invisible things what other invisible worlds are we immersed with them that we just have never thought about that we might not even be able to imagine right now and then someday people will be like duh they're so stupid they didn't see that you know of course I've been promoting the miraculous prayer board and I try to explain to people why and how I think the miraculous prayer board can be helpful and I have a video of me talking about the miraculous prayer board on Facebook and a woman sent me a message and said this is evil you have to stop selling this this is not in the Bible and I thought to myself man how sad would it be to live your whole life thinking that prayer is something that comes only from the Bible screw every other culture in the world screw everything else that's happened before the Bible was written or conceived or whatever nope this is my book and if I don't see Joshua P Warren's miraculous prayer board in here well then this is bullshit so you're telling me that if the Bible had oh and by the way here's a miraculous prayer board invented by Vrilock <laughs> then you'd be like oh, oh well. God said this is okay prayer is something that is a part of every culture going back to the earliest records that we have and in fact if you want to look just here's the here's the definition of prayer here i'm looking at the, the wikipedia page prayer listen listen to the wording of this prayer is an invocation or act that seeks to activate a rapport with an object of worship through deliberate communication in the narrow sense the term refers to an act of supplication or intercession directed toward a deity that is a god or a deified ancestor more generally prayer can also have the purpose of thanksgiving or praise and in comparative religion is closely associated with more abstract forms of meditation and with charms or spells prayer can take a variety of forms it can be part of a set liturgy or ritual it can be performed alone or in groups prayer may take the form of a hymn incantation a formal creedal statement or a spontaneous utterance in the praying person 
The act of prayer is attested in written sources as early as 5,000 years ago. Today, most major religions involve prayer in one way or another. Some ritualize the act, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a breakdown talking about how even the ancient Sumerian texts talk about prayer. The ancient Egyptian texts, obviously the Bible. But then we have, you know, Islam, Baha'i, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Shinto, all of these things have versions of prayer. Folks, it's magical thinking. Okay? It's a form of manifestation. It's a it's the most basic organic intuitive form of trying to manifest things. And through experimentation and trial and error, people like me and hopefully yourself have found that there are ways to make that manifestation more powerful and more distinctive and more impactful. And that is what an item like the Miraculous Prayer Board is designed to help you do. It is not about trying to fit into a particular belief system a particular canon it is about acknowledging the effectiveness of manifestation exercises in general and then enhancing them by becoming more aware of what you're doing and what you're saying are you just saying a bunch of stupid like nonsense that's not landing anywhere are you groveling like some dog are you being selfish are you just saying gimme 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 I'm entitled I'm entitled I'm entitled or are you actually putting the appropriate proper effective thought form out into the universe um, I don't have to tell you all this you know you listen to this podcast but I find that sad that there are people who who have that closed that that much of a closed mind you know the word amen which we've all said it right you've said amen what does that mean do you know what that means when you say amen that is the hebrew word and it means so be it so be it so who are you to say so be it Right, like if you are asking God to do something for you, like a kid is asking Santa Claus for a present, then why are you saying, so be it? You know, the prayer ends with so be it because that is where you are taking control. So mote it be is another usage what you are saying is i am putting this out there you know i'm not just sitting here saying like some word that means please give this to me thanks for considering me no you're saying so be it so be this shit that is what you're doing when you say that's what you're saying when you say amen it's magic. It's magical thinking. It's magical projection. If you get that, try to explain that to others, please. 
try to spread the word around a little bit without being too weird about it. My book, Use the Force, A Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction, does a very good job, I think, of explaining all this. Whether or not you're into Star Wars, it doesn't matter. You can still appreciate it. Look at the reviews on Amazon. There's also an audiobook version of it where I read the book. I read the whole book. So if you like listening to my podcast, well, there's a treat for you. You can listen to it's through Audible, easy to access. Go to Audible on Amazon.com. You can get the audiobook of Use the Force, A Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction. I'll read you the whole thing. I recorded that in a studio in Puerto Rico, and it sounds pretty darn good. But when it comes to these products in general, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize that some of the strange things that, um, that I promote, they're handcrafted. Like, I don't have some factory somewhere in some other country with a bunch of people who are being fed peanuts to have them crank out some type of flimsy product. The things that I sell and I promote and I market are unique items that are handcrafted. Each one is individual. There are no two alike in most cases. I can't say that with 100% um, certainty because there are times when I do find something really cool that is manufactured and I'll I'll promote that for one reason or another but like the wishing machine for example every single wishing machine is handmade by Dr. Mulder and I have seen him before when he had the brace on for carpal tunnel syndrome because that he had been making so many and he had to use a wishing machine on himself <laughs> to recover from the carpal tunnel syndrome and we were having a conversation just earlier today and he said I had never imagined all these years ago that we would have such an incredible demand for this many machines he's made thousands and thousands and thousands of these machines with his own two hands but he says I think it's time to sort of scale back on some of the models that we're making because right now we have like 10 different models out there which serve different purposes. And so pretty soon we are going to just take some of those options off the table. Um, I'll give you an example. Like one of the machines that use the force box, right now we say you can get it in blue or black. And he says, you know what, it takes me a lot longer to make the black one than it does the blue one so let's just say sorry the black one is no longer going to be available like okay it's it's stuff like that so i'm giving you a heads up right now uh if you go to wishingmachineproject.com wishingmachineproject.com you can look at all the variables for different types of um of machines that we have and this is your opportunity to buy any kind of machine you want because soon they're not going to be available uh, ever again. It's 2020. It's a time for change, time for improvement, time to update things, streamline things, make things more efficient. And that's one of the things that's going to happen is uh, we're going we're gonna to say, okay, what are the, the, like the three ones that everybody seems to order the most? And we're just going to focus on those. So again, I'm giving you a heads up. This is your, uh, your first and probably final warning. If you want to go and check out any 
of the variables at wishingmachineproject.com. A couple other things before I wrap up this podcast. For one thing, you know, I had some really interesting results last year doing the collective consciousness roulette wheel experiment where I was surveying all of you and saying, do you think when I go to the roulette wheel it's going to be red or black? It was correct over and over and over again. Um, I was able to take, I think, $100 and work it up to about $1,000, maybe more. I can't remember exactly. I have to go back and listen myself. Well, I'm going to start this experiment over again, but this time we're going to do it a little bit differently. And this time we're going to use what's called ARV, which is Associative Remote Viewing. It's a different type of technique. Some of you know what I'm talking about, especially if you've read Finding Your Magic or you came to my Finding Your Magic event in Las Vegas in 2018. And by the way, good news, I am working on putting together Finding Your Magic number two. Chapter two, I was going to do it last year, but I just I got had too many projects that took me out of town and I couldn't do it. So I'm thinking this spring I'm going to try to do Finding Your Magic number two. So keep that in mind. And I'll be as specific as possible as soon as I can on dates and stuff for you to come out here to Las Vegas and be a part of a really special weekend with me. But if you are around Las Vegas this weekend, Saturday, February the 1st, 2020, you need to come to the Creepy Vegas Ghost and UFO Show. I am going to be there at Millennium Fandom which is a, an extremely popular, popular, really cool cosplay bar right there in downtown Vegas within walking distance of Zach Bagan's The Haunted Museum. And the Creepy Vegas Ghost and UFO Show is 60 fun paranormal minutes in a bar. You have to be 21 or older to get in because it is a bar. You go in there grab a drink. Hey, if you're not a drinker, no problem. Have a glass of water. Have a Coke. Whatever. Go in there. Grab a drink. You sit down. For 60 minutes, we show you mind-boggling, amazing footage, authentic footage of local ghosts, UFOs, um, monsters. I mean, you name it. And you get to touch real haunted objects and uh, you get to see debris from Roswell. Well, guess what? This Saturday, February 1st, I'm going to be there. And I'm not always there. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to unveil for you a really wild new artifact. Okay. And after the show, I'm going to stick around. We're all going to stick around and we're going to party. So, because, you know, usually on a Saturday night, we do the show from 7 to 8 p.m. And then after that, you know, we close up shop and nope, this Saturday, you got to get your ticket. You got to, the show starts at seven. So get there early, get there about 645, 650 and watch the show, see what I have to show you. And then after that, we're going to hang out. We're going to, we'll, we, we're going to have private conversations about the craziest stuff you can imagine. It's 7 p.m. 
this Saturday, February 1st, 2020, the night before the Super Bowl. And the only way that you can attend is to go to creepyvegas.com. It costs $19.95. Creepyvegas.com. Creepyvegas.com. Go there, watch the promotional video. It's three minutes, and you'll understand why this show is so popular and why that if you can be there, you've got to be there this Saturday. All right, my friends, uh, I will do my best to give you another update soon. So much cool stuff happening, some pretty crazy experiments that I'll be sharing results uh, um, from soon. And, of course, if you go to my website, it's joshuapwarren.com. There's no period after the P. Go to Joshua pwarren.com sign up for the free e-newsletter there that's important so you can get the very first notification when i have new things to share for you new results new announcements takes you two seconds and you also get a free digital good luck charm instantly when you sign up for the free e-newsletter there click around explore go to the curiosity shop see all these you know weird and amazing products that i'm always talking about that you know, I, I only promote things that people tell me works for them. And while you're there at joshuapwarren.com, click the link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short, always free, commercial free, independent, uncensored. You can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren. And I will usually tweet when a new one is available. So that is it for this edition of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.